Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the AEW Rampage Review. I'm Anna Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dadly Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on Friday night's episode of AEW Rampage. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review Rampage, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, pay-per-views, bloody premium live events. Uh, We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week, complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick to review Rampage, and this hour just flew by. I mean, I love this episode of Rampage. I don't think it was the best one they've ever done. I think you'll struggle to top the first one for the importance, for the match quality. Um, But this is basically the same format. No convenient squabbling to set up anything for Dynamite. Just four matches, various levels of build, Great execution and indeed over-delivery of those matches. There wasn't a single second I didn't enjoy. Mm -hmm. There were a few seconds where I thought, I'm not going to enjoy this as much as I normally would, given the people involved. And then they won me round by being great. So, yeah, just a fabulous time this episode. Let's dive straight into it because the show opened with the return of John Moxley in ring uh, facing Ethan Page. I thought they did this absolutely perfectly. Uh, Ethan Page comes out after Moxley, of course, and sends Scorpio Sky back. Uh, and just winds up all the fans, basically. Uh, obviously, huge amounts of crowd support uh, behind Moxley, who just he bears repeating, but looks like a different person, doesn't he? Like, he's he's obviously fantastic that he's much better from the position he was in a few months ago, but also he's, he's slimmed down compared to what he was even before his issues when he presumably was, was... He was a bulkier performer, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not a case of he's drastically slimmed down for the sake of his health and maybe he doesn't necessarily look like a pro wrestler anymore. Mm-hmm. His shape. It's not just healthy. It's like his great ring shape mm-hmm. as well. He doesn't look too thin or Stamina. anything else. Yeah, he just looks like a lean-cut fighting machine who can absolutely kick ass. Uh, just got himself into phenomenal shape and given everything he's faced, that's just such an achievement. And, and I, I want to give props to this now just in case I forget later on. I did like the fact that despite how much better he looks, like you say, the story of this match initially was, oh, has he, you know, is he a bit ring rusty? Has he lost a step a little bit? Has this, you know, new version of his body, has he not really worked out what he can and can't do? He was getting outworked on, on some occasions by Ethan Page, which makes sense because Page obviously has, has had a lot of in-ring action in the interim. Traditionally, in 
Japanese pro wrestling, the person who is like tenured, gilded, accomplished, all the rest of it, when they come back from injury, they don't necessarily win their first match because there's a sporting element to mm-hmm. everything that the mainstream puro um, sphere has done historically. We didn't get that result because I don't think it makes sense in this context. You want a feel-good win, and Ethan Page can absorb those wins, as we discussed on the preview. Um, There was certainly a sports-oriented approach to the way in which uh, Moxley worked uh, this match. He didn't just kill some guy within five to eight minutes. He really worked towards it. Um, Do the recap, because I'm going to give you one of my favorite elements of that performance. Yeah, so um, Mox is, you know, being Mox, chops, back elbows to to Page, sends him into the corner, just batters him with forearms, bites him a little bit. Uh, But Page fights back, uh, mule kick in the corner, and that flying shoulder sends Moxley to the outside. They brawl on the outside. Page places Moxley on the table and hits him so hard that the table subsequently breaks like five minutes into Rampage. Um, Then Moxley recovers, and as they're getting back into the ring, Page catches him and ties his knee up in the ropes um, and then manages to... He gets him basically in the sort of Orton... What's it called? Like an elevated DDT position and sort of spins him round into a backbreaker. I've never seen that before. I really enjoyed it. Um... Moxley also then goes after Page in the corner and, and, and Page moves and he goes shoulder first into it. And uh, Page, as we go to a split screen, just batters him around the floor. When we come back, um, Page has got Mox up for the ego's edge, it, ego's edge, but he slips out, uh, does the old go behind, gets a near fall off the back of it and hits him with a trio of sur- uh, German suplexes. Um, the old back and forth forearm exchange, obviously Moxley, Probably going to get the better of that one, despite um, his uh, time away from the ring. Page misses a boot. Moxley just clobbers him with a lariat. Um, goes for the paradigm shift, but Page gets out of it. Twisting brain buster gets him a two count. Uh, he also puts a single leg crab on Moxley, but he uh, makes it to the ropes. Moxley low bridges Page as he charges at him uh, and hits him with a tope suicida on the outside. Um, they are fighting up top. Page catches Moxley as he's uh, taking his time on the turnbuckle. Power slams him off the middle ropes. That gets uh, a two count. And then uh, Moxley counters with a crucifix to get a two count as well. And then as Page kicks out of that, Moxley realizes what sort of position he's in and sort of catches his arms so his head is completely exposed. Elbows, knee strikes, gets that bulldog choke on him, and Page passes out. And I love the, the element of realism there, that after the match... Page wasn't just like, I'm out, I'm out, and he just doesn't move for five minutes. Moxley chokes him out, and the moment he releases the choke, Page wakes back up, which is, you know, I watched the UFC at the weekend. I saw stuff like that happen, and he has no idea what's going on. He turns around, he just looks at Moxley getting his arm raised. He's confused, Um, and as a result of that, he's not, he doesn't just roll out the ring frustrated. He's just a bit baffled. So he goes up, he just stands up, and he's, Moxley turns around, and he's like, oh, are you still here? Paradigm shift for you then. Um, I just love that as a touch, and uh, yeah, a brilliant uh, return to the ring. We'll talk about what happened as Moxley made his way to the back in a second, because I want to know your thoughts on the match first. I really, really liked it. Tremendous return for John Moxley without giving away like an absolute epic performance. Um, the story of the match, as you so correctly point out, was that he's kind of feeling his way back mm. into the ring. And I love how they structured the match around that specific sort of plot point in that 
it wasn't like patronizing or like sort of careless in the layout. It just didn't simply work like a 50-50 match. Like Moxley looked like he hadn't been in a ring for several months. And that was literally the case when he kept finding himself like sort of flying out of it when he's a little bit too anxious or he mistimed certain attacks, like spent two or three occasions where he's kind of just threw himself out of the ring almost. It wasn't like it, he was getting outworked mm. by Ethan Page. It was he was making errors. He was displaying signs of ring rust. And so that was such a neat way of arriving at a really closely contested and hot match mm-hmm. that didn't sort of insult you with the notion that Ethan Page was anywhere near Moxley's level because he isn't. Yeah, well, if they were both 100%, he'd be putting him away without yeah, so much Yeah, absolutely. Issue, I really just thought that was so careful, so elegantly constructed because I've hated the idea for so long. Ever since um, the days of WWF superstars or studio wrestling or whatever were abandoned because they realized they need all-star matches to generate TV ratings so often in order to arrive at a name pairing, they just go 50-50 and it's all a bit like, well, you're better than him, so why are you doing too much? I yes. understand that you have to flatter your opponent at the same time, otherwise, who have you beat? What can they possibly do next if you just... But I just thought they arrived at that, like, sort of episodic TV necessity mm-hmm. in a way that sort of overlapped with this particular um, John Moxley approach. I thought that was great. Um, just a note on the finish as well, like he looked like he was getting literally the life squeezed out of him. Like he does not hold back on that choke. A good night for choking. Mm. You know, that'll be the conceit of this podcast. It was a really <laughs> good night for choking or indeed not choking. He looked like the guy was getting the life squeezed out of him. One of my biggest pet hates in all the pro wrestling and when this guy was doing his 2015 run and everyone was like, oh, he's actually great. Isn't it great? He's having like, it's like The Undertaker in 1996. This is John Cena in 2015. I was like, mm, if he was any good, he would apply a little bit of pressure to that STF. <laughs> yes. I always love it when it looks like someone's getting choked. Do you understand me? Mm-hmm. It looks like they are getting put away, dropped, slept, put unconscious, whatever. And the way he transitioned into it, um, with a nice early UFC callback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, a follower of mine sent me the exact names and the clip that I've seen that before. So cru- thank you. I forget like a crucifix your name. and he pins the arms back. And then yeah. he does the elbows and stuff. I have actually seen that before because that guy's head looks like a. <laughs> just like, uh, just like a football getting keepy upped. It's uh, brutal that I remember, yeah. Now, someone sent it over in a, on Twitter. Uh, apologies for not remembering your name, but that was a really nice little way to finish off. Ethan Page, look, John Wox is back. He's in great shape. He told a story that, like, belies his persona as this, like, primal ass kicker. Like, he... John Moxley doesn't get anywhere near enough credit for his ability to tell stories in the mm. ring. Like one of my favorite modern match finishes ever is the one against Juice Robinson on his first match post WWE. Um, this is really nicely put together, I thought. Was that the uh, the Dirty Deeds paradigm shift? When he puts Robinson over by doing an old version of his move and then putting himself over at the same time by saying, well, I'm going to have to do something cooler than that, than that least the thing, that thing I used to do in WWE. Uh, he killed two birds with one stone, had his cake and ate it too, and he's just great, and it was great to see him back in great form. Yeah, that, the Dirty Deeds wouldn't have put Brody Lee through the stage, would it? Paradigm Shift yeah. does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got to talk about what happened afterwards, uh, because as I said, Moxley uh, hits the Paradigm Shift on Ethan Page, walks out, and as he's walking back through the crowd, walking through to the back, who is there in a splendid white T-shirt, gets them over like Kanye West. It's one of those, if they sold a Brian Danielson t-shirt for $50, it's just a blank t-shirt, I'd be like, 
but it's, it's, a, it's a Danielson T-shirt. I might look like him if I yeah, wear that. Exactly. Well, there is Brian Danielson, who, of course, we haven't seen uh, since his failure to capture the AW Championship from Hangman Page. And, uh, yeah, there he is, applauding him in victory. What did you make of this tease? Call me a hypocrite, right? Because I spent mm, a good full calendar year of my life bitching about this kind of match setup when they did it on NXT at the uh, dawn of the uh, Wednesday Night Wars. Every single time, a guy would win a match, would treat up the ramp, he'd be met on the stage for a silent confrontation. But more often than not, they just did the match. Like, that would be a great story and great promos. Um, so I will give it a pass and tell you that I, in fact, am not a hypocrite because I've got trust that they're not just going to do this on Dynamite. Yes. With an unfinish. Like, they are going to build something around this. It's just This was a tease more than it was a means of building a match. And uh, a hell of an answer to the question, what next for Brian Danielson? Yes. Oh. Absolutely. Like, my initial thought was the first two, the, the key matches they are hinting towards at Revolution are great. This is going to be the third big one. And Jesus Christ, it should be absolutely class. Um, we got a, a pre-taped promo from Jurassic Express next, and I don't know why this tickled me so much, because they were uh, ranting and raving, of course, about what happened with the gun club and their attack on Christian Jungle Boy, uh, saying about how uh, Billy Gunn is a little bit of a bitch, basically. Um, I, I did like the fact that it basically said that when Cage comes back, we're coming for you sort of thing. Uh, you know, you're going to pay for what you did. But the bit that tickled me is he says... Oh, I see the uh, see the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. And normally, obviously, Luchasaurus just sort of stands there, looks a bit imposing, and then goes, rah, at the end. But for some reason here, he goes, yeah, it doesn't look like the apple too falls too far from the tree. And he just goes, apple. <laughs> I, I have no idea why, but it just, I, I was like, okay, do that. That's great. More of that sort of thing. I want him to say one word from something that Jungle Boy cuts in a promo from now on. Culmination. <laughs> I just I don't know why that tickled me so much, but yeah. It's the hallmark of a great talent or a great actor, a, you know, a resourceful use of one's time that Jungle Boy and now Luchasaurus are already getting over via these pre-tapes. Mm. Like they talk for 30 seconds or a minute. They don't really do any major angles on Dynamite, these two, or Christian, in fact. But they always do like little one-liners or poppers. Like to use your time that efficiently is what you should be doing on episodic TV. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Right, I hope you like next stuff, because that's what we've got next. Um, it was supposed, of course, to be the Young Bucks versus Trent and Rocky Romero, but I believe, again, it was medical protocols. Rocky had Rona. Yeah, thought so. Um, that caused us to get this match, which, amazing when they mention this on commentary, is the first time they've had a one-on-one match, despite the fact they've shared the ring, I think, 50 times. Bonkers. Um, and Trent's still a bit of a knobhead, because he comes out, and he's like, yeah, yeah, here I am with the bloody best friends. And he goes, going down the, the line, line now. Yeah. He got, you got Orange Cassidy and you got Chuck Taylor and got Chris Statlander. Yeah, there's Wheeler, you yeah, whatever, mate. Like, poor Wheeler, just uh, fist bump and he's like, good one, pal. Hey, piss off. Touch <laughs> <laughs> so, grace. Yes. Uh, like I said, this was a, a match built around... Two men's neck problems, basically. Um, specifically, Trent's for the most part. Um, but early on, he just looks sensational. Catches Nick coming off the rope spr- uh, with a springboard. It's a northern-like suplex for a near fall. Um, and then Jackson, Nick Jackson, uh, yeah, spent 10 minutes trying to re-injure a guy who's had his neck surgery repaired because it was a spinal stenosis. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Hangman's neck breaker. That sends Barretta out to the floor. Nick just kicks him in the back of his neck when he's out there. Um, he takes Nick. Uh, Barretta fights back, though. Hits him with a clothesline. Deadlift German suplex. Uh, and he hits a running knee to get a near fall. Nick then uses the referee as a distraction uh, to manage to hit Trent with a German suplex. Barretta fights back. Hits his own German suplex. But again, throughout this, anytime he's... I can't remember what maneuver he was doing. Oh, was it a pinfall, actually? thinking of he was selling the neck throughout but there was a moment where he bridged into a pin and Nick didn't really kick out and the commentary team did a really nice job of pointing out um, Taz in particular saying yeah sometimes you just have to go well uh, that now hurts my neck too much so I'll just get off this even though there's no kick out but like I said throughout this whenever he hit German suplexes or any maneuver that would injure his neck or uh, at least cause a little twinge whilst he attacks his opponent I thought it was a really nice touch um, also it doesn't help when Nick Jackson goes to the apron and hits a springboard destroyer that'll do some damage as well that gets a near fall um, they go back and forth uh, forearms in, uh, hitting each other Nick comes out of the corner spinning kick knee strike bulldog goes for the super kick Trent avoids it, though. Half and half suplex. Uh, eventually, though, Nick Jackson did manage to hit the super kick, but Trent comes back with a lariat and a pile driver for a two count. They go out onto the ramp. Beretta wants a pile driver. Nick backdrops him out of it. Uh, hits a senton atomico off the turnbuckle onto the ramp. And, yeah, they weren't kidding when they said that had no give. Uh, puts him back in the ring. 450 splash. That gets a two count. Uh, he uh, hits a super kick. Sets up for the second one with... Uh, Matt Jackson and, and Brandon Cutler cheering him on, uh, but Beretta counters, hits the strong zero, and gets the pinfall victory. Uh, I suppose it, he escaped with the victory here out of nowhere, but what did you make of these two magicians working together? Um, it's weird. Wrestling's so weird. Like, wrestling is so bizarre. I've always enjoyed Trent's work, but there's an element where you see some, like, sub-strong style exchanges where they exchange like head first offense and then pop back up. It does feel like guys who don't have huge heightened fighting spirit, but they've watched enough of it on videotape <laughs> yes. to sort of emulate that kind of rhythm. And 
Trent does do a lot of like head drop stuff against Adam Cole and indeed certain things he's done in the past. Like I've generally felt that while very exciting, Trent's work has been somewhat shallow. Mm-hmm. But wrestling's weird in that suffering something horrendous can sometimes be the best thing that's ever happened to you. <laughs> yep. Or can like, you know, improve your work or a modification can like turn you into something that you weren't before. Like getting a really bad neck injury and having surgery to correct it has now added an element of real pathos and anxiety to everything that Trent mm. does uh, to the point where you're thinking, is he actually okay? What's the extent to which he's selling? And can he possibly overcome that which has just happened to him? So it informs everything he sells, everything he comes back from, every near fall. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't really call this as well because we've Not said in the past that Nick Jackson is a guy who's great at taking singles losses because he's a tag team specialist and it never really harms the aura of the Young Bucks one bit when he loses. So I was really on the edge for every near fall. I will say that for a while, this felt a little bit patterned in routine. And what I mean by that is for several minutes, I thought these guys having had to put a match together without much in the way of notice, obviously um, the originally scheduled tag team match was um, <coughs> postponed or cancelled or whatever. Mm-hmm. I thought, are they just saying, let's pretend we're in 2016 PWG? <laughs> it felt a little bit like the match format was creaking a bit, showing its bones. And then they did it so well by the finish with those layers of realism um, that they really got the crowd going as well. Because I felt a little bit like the crowd weren't that up for this, mm-hmm. but they worked such a strong match by the end that they really got them going. Um I'm still shallow elements of certain tropes that didn't put this in complete undiluted banger territory for me, but very interesting um, in terms of the storyline direction for Trent. And as I said, like more depth to your usual 2016 PWG, but on telly, because a lot of people haven't seen this. So let's just do this on telly. Like we have seen this kind of match so often. Yeah. It was getting a little bit, I was feeling it was a little bit normal, but then they really, really got me by the end. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed it by the end of it. And uh, yeah, the next stuff. I'm a ghoul for that sort of thing. Uh, I think I, that, I think it's you. that You've rubbed up on me when you talked you talked back in the day about Matt Jackson's back problems yeah. and the fact that that formed such a... And when, it, when I went back and watched all that stuff and now I just have so much more appreciation for the work that they do. When any, anything around body parts that are injured in the young books... Count me in for it, basically. Uh, We get a great promo again, promoting uh, Mercedes Martinez and Thunder Rosa's feud. And next we get possibly the best hook match. I don't know whether this... I don't know, because, like, they all go into different categories. The Boulder match and, you know, the debut of, like, oh, here he is. But this this was just, like... this was. I suppose this was a microcosm, let's say, of, of Hook. He comes down, I think it's his, it's his first live match. Yes. Yeah, first live match. So they make a bit of a thing about that. Uh, and he's against Serpentico. Uh, what's the phrase? They don't get paid by the hour. Serpentico's got this thing where he chucks streamers out. I don't know if he's always done that or that was a new thing just for this. Regardless, it was like a red rag to a fucking ball because Hook saw that went, we're not doing this crap, not letting you do that. Just tackles him the moment that happens and just wrecks him. Hits him with knees, Judo throws, chucks him all over the place. Uh, double wrist lock takedown. So Pentecost has to make it to the ropes. Doesn't matter though. Hook overhead, belly to belly. After a brief fight, fight back. I mean, it's a seventy-second match. Very brief fight back by Serpentico. Locks in red rum. 
Uh, so Bentico taps out. He doesn't release it straight away. Uh, and then post-match, out on the ramp comes QT Marshall, trash-talking Hook, saying, look, I'm ready to face you face-to-face. Look, why are you cheering this guy? Look at what he does. Um, and, uh, yeah, Hook goes face-to-face with him, grabs him, chucks him, lays him out, steps over him as he walks out, and uh, as if he needed any enhancement of his aura, my God, what was this? This is tremendous. What I loved about this is I'm a particular... I've got... Sometimes I don't punch down, but I enjoy a nice, cruel gag. <laughs> yes. I enjoy a nice, cruel gag at times. This is an absolutely fabulous side gag. Like, Serpentico for his big moment, live on Rampage, doesn't usually get, like, a shot in singles, full streamers, and Hook's like, little dickhead. <laughs> like, just the sheer contrast between his, like, sense of showmanship between the actual jobber that he actually is and was ruthlessly exposed as by Hook. I thought that was, like, really good black comedy oh, as a Hook visual guy. Hook doesn't face his opponent when he walks into the ring. He rests on the thing. He rests on the thing. He just, well, we play Ring the Goddamn Bell. And that happens. He turns around. He'll he's like, wait, that guy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's really easy. Just love it. Like, oh, this is my big moment. No, no, not really. <laughs> not really. You're getting squashed, bitch. Um, <laughs> so I loved, like, just Hook's stuff always looks amazing. The, I like Taz chewing him on as well. Yeah, it's quality. It's just all great. This is another great version of it. Like, his stuff looked like it was killing Sir Pentacle. Sir Pentacle looks like he's got no chance. And that's a beauty of a squash. Yeah. If you are so dominant, not just a guy doing power moves to no reply. Like, the guy has to look like they are knackered and can do nothing. And Hook's got this brilliant aura about him, like this legitimate, like, informed skill set that he's just incredible. And legitimately, there are certain moves in pro wrestling that make me go, oh. Like, that looks like it really hurts. Usually, it's a head drop, suplex. Usually, it's anything that Lesnar does because he's just so goddamn Brock Lesnar or, like, a ridiculous high spot or, you know. I've seen one million apron bumps over the past, what, three, four years since it's really become prevalent. I've, like, barely any of them have registered with the same wins I had with that standing red rum. Guy looked like he'd been executed Looks like being hanged <laughs> by the arms of Hook. It just how did that look more effective than when Strowman used to do the? You know when Strowman used to lift people yeah. up, and he's like seven foot tall. No offense to Hook, but he's not quite the same as Braun Strowman. And yeah, I was like, well, that looks like hell to be in. Application execution, just they are so great at measuring Hook stuff. It's almost on the level, and I think there's a collaboration involved. But the level of Danielson just slowly drip-feeding the viewer with information of, I can beat anyone mm. using this move, this move, that move, that move, and this move, and this move. Measuring what to do to make these appearances special, like the idea of Hukno selling a pile driver in match one was inconceivable, but that's because they don't give everything away at once. Mm-hmm. It's just this really patient approach where it's like, Hook does something incredibly cool every single week. Tune in, he's going to do something different that is equally as cool. And this week it was, I'm going to look like a human noose, (laughs) snapping someone's, decapitating someone internally with my incredible biceps, on which, crudely, the word mom is tattooed. That's just a little, like, legend myth guy. He's the best. And then we're going to get the QT Marshall match you sense down the road. And yet in every example we've been given, you'd be like, why do you want to face him? He's wrecked you twice, both times when you were supposedly prepared and getting the jump on him. The second time, he literally just stepped over you like, well, that's my night's work done. Well, looks like there's been enough QT Marshall. (laughs) 
Well, speaking of which, we got a promo ahead of the main event. Uh, DBS Championship on the line, of course. Anna Jade challenging Jade Cargill. Jade is not worried about Anna Banana, as she called her. Um, Anna Jade says, look, I've warned you. I don't know how many times I've got to tell you. I've, you know, wrapped barbed wire around my arms. I've done all this stuff. I've I'm changed since that match. Uh, and tonight, you know, you're going to see my dark side. Uh, and TBS stands for that bitch slayer. Cargill is fired up. And Henry says, hey, everyone, wait a second before we really get too carried away. Well, looks like we've had enough time. It's time for the main event. Did I see they've made that into a T-shirt now? What took them so long? Yeah, exactly. What are they faffing about that? So, yeah, we got Cargill versus uh, Anna Jay for the TBS Championship. I think it's fair to say the best match I've seen Jay Cargill have this. Best prolonged match. The best prolonged singles match. I love the Shaq debut. Yes, sorry. I've she had a great match subsequent to that with um, Red Velvet mm. on Dynamite, but this was better, I think. Yeah. And it was so necessary as well. Uh, early on, it looks like it's going to be a relatively straightforward win for Cargill. She catches Jay going for a crossbody, uh, nails her with a fallaway slam, hits Anna Jay with a clothesline. Jay rolls to the outside. Um, and then, of course, naturally, you've got Smart Mark Sterling and uh, Johnny Hungy out there. Um, they get into it. <laughs> Sterling threatens to sue John Silver. Uh, and then Jay Cargill, one of the few people who can show her up, Gets into a pose down with Johnny Hungy. Bad idea, that. Uh, but this also allows Jade, uh, Anna Jay to recover and uh, jump over John Silver to hit Jay Cargill with a forearm. And uh, that takes us into the break um, to allow Anna Jay a fight back. When we come back, uh, Jay Cargill's in the ring. Anna Jay's on the apron. She gets her in that uh, Queen Slayer sleeper hold. But as Anna Jay is on the apron, Cargill uses her ring awareness, uh, drops down that sort of guillotines Anna against the top rope. Again, she's going for the, the Queen Slayer. Mark Sterling distracts her. So Silver says, right, enough of that. Grabs Mark Sterling, hits a brain buster on the floor. And we get a great near fall in amongst all this with Anna Jay uh, catching Jay Cargill with a backslide for a two count. Cargill hits the uh, pump kick, and you think, right, well, okay, business has, business has resumed, you know, business is normal. Picks her up for the jaded uh, finishing slam, and Anna Jay slides out and brilliantly locks in the Queen Slayer, to which Jay Cargill is panicking. She eventually powers up, stands up with, with Anna Jay holding on, backs her into the ropes to break it up, uh, but Anna Jay picks her up again, standing on the turnbuckles, for a, a Queen Slayer. She's using the ropes for sort of leverage here. Jay Cargill breaks, break, breaks free, goes for a power slam. Jay slides out of it, goes for a leg lariat in the corner. And I love this spot. She goes for that. You're thinking, oh, Canelli, it's going to happen. Goes for that leg lariat in the corner. And I don't know if, if this is just me or, you know, I'm misremembering it. In my head, Jay Cargill doesn't just catch her and then power up and hit a one-arm powerbomb. She catches her and has a little word in her ear like, well, that was fun while it lasted, wasn't it? Picks her up, one-arm powerbomb, uh, and then gets her up again, jaded, slams her down. One, two, three, Jade Cargill retains the TBS championship. This was a home run, massive over-delivery, and I'm not overstating things here. No. This might be one of the most important matches in Jade Cargill's career. She can completely go forward. 
using this win and the confidence to inform everything she does subsequently. I'm not going to say it's save a, it's going to save a career. I'm not going to say that she was a terrible, actively terrible pro wrestler. But my God, this is genuinely a triumph. I agree. Like it was starting to feel following the Ruby Soho match. When she, the celebration was nice, but kind of what you're celebrating, you're celebrating a storyline achievement that didn't necessarily ring true because that match with Ruby Soho was horrendous, actively really not good whatsoever. Mad to think that you're like, you shouldn't have had that title match against seniored veteran Ruby Soho. You should have worked with relative novice Anna Jay. Well, maybe questions at some point need to get asked about Ruby Soho, but that's another um, point for another podcast, um, I reckon. Basically, what's happened here, my most succinct take, is that Jade Cargill entered this match with a title around her waist, and she emerged from it a champion. I agree, she yeah. She looked like she given a belt prior to this match, and then when she left the ring, she felt like a champion. She is, in fact, that bitch. I thought this was great. Not a second of awkwardness. And more to the point, it wasn't just a fluid match that wasn't as awkward or hesitant as the other ones. I think it's a story. This wasted no second, mm -hmm. wasted no motion whatsoever. I thought it was genuinely a triumph. I was gripped from start to finish. And I, I, the longer I do this, the more it's going to feel like a bit. I promise at some point I will start doing this. But I'm going to stop at some point telling people off. <laughs> right? But the thing that gets me about the modern wrestling discourse and like what's considered important or how we should gauge things... Every now and then I read a take, read a take such as, I wish this person was involved in a quote-unquote proper feud. What's a proper feud? Pro wrestling storytelling can be as minimal and as short-term as this and still be incredibly powerful. It can still logically precede that which informed it and the people involved can move on to different things. What's happened here is that Anna Jay has just emerged from a long grudge program, having won it with a more aggressive side than she had shown previously. She decided to use this against Jade Cargill. Jade Cargill, meanwhile, has just been handily beating everyone. A little bit of a challenge here and there in longer matches, but she is that bitch. She's undefeated. She's never really come close to losing. Anna Jay's story, uh, character arc has led her to this point where she could pose a fairly sizable challenge or threat to Jade Cargill, at least to an extent by which you're watching that Queen Slayer near fall or like false finish, if you mm, like. And just that think, backslide as well. In the backslide with, oh, she's got her. And the reason why she's got her is because AEW is very good at deft dovetailing storytelling. You don't need three months of promo battles of no. angles to lead to this match. You can just simply spin a story right. Where are these two talents in their respective story arcs? Or more impressively, you can um, tell separate story arcs and have them overlap in a match like this, I genuinely bought the Queen Slayer, having seen a more vicious sort of tweak on it, like, what, three weeks ago at this point. The barbed wire wasn't there, but the aura was, the heft mm. was, the, the believability was, and I generally thought Jay Cargill was in trouble. She wasn't. The match duration was perfect, where it's like, oh, they haven't given her too much. She hasn't just narrowly won a better match than normal. She still felt afterwards like that bitch. Uh, I just thought it was vitally important to her career. An absolute home run. What I loved most about it as well is that I just told the story beautifully throughout. Jay Cargill's completely overconfident to the point where she doesn't even consider anyone a challenge. Irrespective of what they've done previously, like Anna Jay, who's gone through a bloodbath to mm. really raise her stock. And the story of the match was she was so arrogant and so cocky 
that everything she tried to do was cut off by Anna Jay, who just kicked her in the head continuously. Jay Cargill eventually got wise to that and won the match by trapping the leg that was consistently going into her face. Because she's like, <laughs> no, none of that. I'm not going to take the piss anymore. That was great. The sheer mechanics of that jaded into the Queen Slayer reversal, mm. that was just so incredibly impressive. My heart was in my mouth thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, this could be the finish. They've taken, informed again by what happened three weeks ago, a newly powerful move counters the most powerful move to where you're thinking these are two great stars, two genuinely pushed projects, and they are kind of neck and neck at this moment in time. I just thought this was a genuine achievement. Yeah. I really loved it, and I could not have been more impressed by both women. Like, yeah. Hats off. This was the, the way it was laid out as well. Like No fat on it. No sense that they were asking too much of them. Nor was it basic either. It no. just felt basic, but sometimes the best stories do. This was genuinely great. Yeah, sensational. Uh, TBS Championship match to main event this show. Uh, let us know your thoughts on that and everything we've discussed today on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Got a big week when it comes to AEW with Beach Break on Wednesday. Wednesday, of course, we'll be previewing and reviewing that as and when that arrives. We've also got the SmackDown review available right now. We'll be back later with the Monday Night Raw preview. But for now, this has been the AW Rampage review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.